0: to movie heaven movie hell with me simon aiken and
1: and i'm keith isles and we are both independent filmmakers that enjoy talking about and critiquing other directors work but um this Indeed. is a special edition and uh, first i want to say happy new year everyone
0: yes happy new year happy uh, new this year, is simon <laughs> happy new year keith well it is our new year special and we thought we'd do something special for uh, the listeners out there. And so uh, back in November, we asked you, the listeners, to uh, give us uh, picks of films that uh, we didn't cover um, over the last uh, load of episodes we've done from all the directors we have we looked at. And we got along this and we've picked four And. Uh, two are our, our movie heavens and two are movie hells so as we go along we will say the name of the we'll you know say the title of the film and who the winner is and then we'll talk about the film <laughs> yay in our
1: usual fashion absolutely
0: <laughs> yes otherwise it'd be a very short a uh, very short podcast
1: <laughs> absolutely it would and we don't want a short podcast do we i mean heaven forbid no. Heaven forbid, they no. have to be feature
0: length. I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you've recovered from our Christmas special.
1: Indeed, and hopefully everybody had a great Christmas and Santa bought them everything they wanted. And if mm. not, you might end up with something you either want or don't want from this podcast. Who knows?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, well, let's get into it. So, uh, Keith... Uh, what was your pick for movie Heaven?
1: right. Well, I have to say, first of all, um obviously, you know the list of directors we'd done up to that point was uh, was quite an inspired list indeed and and you know lots of films those directors did that 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 I've always liked. and uh, the list that came through, I didn't look at any names. I just literally looked at the films, so I wasn't in any way swayed and it was. I have to say, really hard to choose because there were some fantastic movies in there that I'd love to talk about. So it was really hard to narrow it down to to one for movie heaven, certainly. Um, But uh, I ended up choosing uh, one of my all-time favourites that that I like to talk about, um, Escape from New York by John Carpenter, which he directed in 1981. And I believe that was sent by a listener called Alan um, don't have any other information apart from his Twitter tag is Halloween Fury. So uh don't know you, Alan, but um, good choice. Uh, thank you for choosing and allowing me to have a chat now with Simon about escape from New York.
0: Yes. Uh, escape from New York. Um, uh, fa- a favorite of mine as well. Um, it was when we were going through the John Carpenter picks, it was it was a close second. It was either I was going to talk about this one or I was going to talk about Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble just, just for me, I wanted to talk about it a bit more than Escape from New York, but it's it's a great film. Um, I mean, it's amazing f- for what they do with the very small budget they have because they make you believe that uh, new york is a a maximum uh prison you know
1: <laughs> exactly exactly now i mean this is this is this is in a well a long list of, of of one of my favorite films sort of growing up um it's certainly one that i've owned multiple times in every format you can imagine so i remember i uh, it was one of the the first few that i bought uh when when it came out i got it with some pocket money that i'd saved up And, uh, you know, that was, that was in my collection. And then before I actually moved to America and one of the times that I went out there prior to moving out there, um, I actually bought, they, they released it as a, still a video cassette VHS, but it was a, a widescreen edition. And it also had the deleted scene, the deleted heist scene, uh, you know, included sort of for the first time that you could get anything special like that. So I. I bought it like that. Then, you know, in the early noughties, I got the DVD special edition and uh, I've since actually bought it twice on Blu-ray. I bought it when it first came out. But then because last year um, I invested in a multi-region Blu-ray player that would allow me to play region A. um, When I was at Fright Fest this year, uh, there was a Shout Factory uh, special edition, um, which had a new transfer of the film plus a load of new exclusive special features so um i decided to treat myself to that and i have to say this podcast was then my excuse to actually uh, get that out of the cellophane and watch it so um <laughs> so yes it's been a fun ride
0: <laughs> can i ask is it a is it a good blu-ray
1: it is yes um uh there, there's a lot of debate actually online as to whether this transfer is better or worse than the um initial blu-ray release and it's simply it's not to do with anything to do with picture quality it's more to do with uh color palette and grade okay it's it's a slightly darker um transfer um so there's a lot of debate i haven't quite made up my mind which i think is better yet Um, In terms of the extras, though, as always, and, you know, I like to be a completist. (laughs) There is one extra. There's loads of new extras on this. There's a new commentary by um, director Dean Cundey and uh, Adrian Barbeau.
0: Don't you mean director of photography?
1: Is that not what I said? What did I you say? Said,
0: you said director.
1: Oh, no, director of photography. Sorry, yes. Um,
0: <laughs> there is,
1: of course, one by director John Carpenter and Kurt Russell, which is ported across <laughs> from the previous. Um, you sh-
0: you sh- sure you've seen the right version? You're sure it's not done Dean Candy's Escape <laughs> from New York that <laughs> wow. you saw? Wow.
1: But yeah, that, that would be very different, wouldn't it? You know. Uh, so, <laughs> hey, we like Dean, but, uh, no. but yeah. no, this is definitely John Carpenter's. And there's also a commentary by Deborah Hill. Uh, The now late Deborah Hill, sadly, uh, that she did back in um, in the late 90s, I think. Uh, And then there's a shitload of extra features. But there was one on the original release, uh, a John Carpenter interview that isn't present on this version. So, again, it's, you know, this this BR DVD minefield that I'm always talking about. Well, there you go. If you want to have everything, you've got to have both versions. So craziness, craziness.
0: It is, it is, but it's it's a, a tactic that makes people keep on buying,
1: exactly, and, and yeah, suckers and mugs, just like me, keep on buying. But it is with a it is with a select few films. Well, quite a lot of films, but <laughs> <laughs> but this is one of them. So. Uh... Yes.
0: So when was the first time you watched this?
1: My God, I think the first time I watched this and it was one of those lovely situations where I was allowed to stay up late and all that stuff, or at least late for the age I was. Um, it was it was on television. Uh, it was on it was a BBC, like a BBC two screening. So it was completely uh, un- uninterrupted with with ad breaks and things of that nature. And yeah. Um, you know, obviously, it was the future then. I mean, I mean, one of the, one of the things that, that, that this film hasn't kind of uh, uh, aged well with is the fact that uh, you, you know, apparently, in this was made in 1981, and apparently, in 1988, there was a 400 increase in crime in in the states, and obviously, this film takes place in 1997, uh, which was obviously the future <laughs> at that point. Um, and yeah, you know, obviously uh it's it's then this maximum security uh prison.
0: What always makes me laugh is these films that were made like in the sixties and seventies and eighties and they they saw the future being so fantastical that if I if they were to jump into a time machine from then and arrive now and see what actually it was like, they'd probably think it's really boring.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I mean um you, you, you know, it was in, interesting—the uh, sort of dystopian take this this has on 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 the future uh, or the then future. Um, but uh, no, I I just remember thinking it was really cool. Um, I thought Snape Plissken, played by Kurt Russell, was was you, you know the man. I thought he was a really cool character. And what I liked about all of this was, you know, it was was kind of the little details that really got me, even as a kid. I mean, there's that scene just before he goes on the mission where he has all of the kit laid out on the table. You know, guns and throwing stars and radios and wrist receivers and all all of these cool gadgets. And I, I remember thinking that this was just absolutely awesome <laughs> so um so yeah it, it's always been it's always been sort of up there in um in one of my uh, you know favorite favorites of John Carpenter uh, f- from the time but uh, yes yeah so but it is it is interesting with sci-fi and particularly anything that deals with the future obviously if you're not jumping hundreds of years into the future, then then, you know, you always do kind of have this, um, uh, you you know, problem where the films don't age in terms of, you you know, they don't necessarily match up with what happens in the uh, in the film timeline. But
0: But I like to think of them as uh, like, slices of alternative universes indeed we like
1: we like the uh alternative universe is is so widely accepted now yes we we love that this is a a parallel reality
0: <laughs> exactly the thing about this film that makes it so great is because it's it's like a western oh totally and, and a lot of uh john carpenter's earlier work were very much based on westerns like um assault and precinct 13. Mm-hmm. there's a lot of tropes in there that was you know that he got from uh like john ford westerns and stuff like that uh you know the one man who has to go in and uh rescue in this case the president of the united states the president of what <laughs> <laughs> you're the duke <laughs> the duke of new york a number one <laughs> a number one. Oh dear
1: oh, it's a very
0: uh, quotable film isn't it it is very quotable <laughs> i have to laugh though because there's a bit at the end when uh, he has the um, machine gun and he's shooting the duke. I never quite understand what he says.
1: Wow, yeah, he's doing the whole Hey, uh, Duke! K hey, number one, isn't he? Kind well, of he is. Thing, but, but he goes,
0: like, yeah. this is this is the line that always goes, I'm like, "What? Yeah, what?"
1: Let, let's just say Donald Pleasant's a wonderful character actor, <laughs> absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Love him the bits, miss him greatly. But yeah. but he did sometimes make some interesting acting choices, <laughs> <laughs> and that was one of them. But uh, but I kind of yeah. but I kind of like it. I mean, obviously he's, a, he's, he's you know. He was a frequent John Carpenter collaborator anyway. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was interesting to see him playing the, uh, the, the president in this. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the reason for the mission, if you like, because he was on his way to this special summit uh, with a recording, you know, that was supposed to uh, save the future of mankind and all this sort of thing. And of course, you know, the plane gets hijacked and it ends up crashing uh, within the maximum security of um, Manhattan Island. And Snake, who who in that, that deleted scene that I mentioned, uh, had been caught uh, and was, was about to be sentenced, etc., when, you know, they look at his record and realize that he might be the sort of guy that they could uh, send in on this sort of supposedly it almost seems like a one-way rescue mission.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the the lovely thing about this film is there's always a ticking clock. Mm. I mean, Bliskin's um, got, Pliskin's got a, a life clock on his um, wrist, which lets him know how long he's got to rescue the president and get out of there, because when it runs out, not only is the president's usefulness run out, but also... Uh, snake Pliskin's life will run out yeah because they've implanted these two uh pills in his neck they're like um they're tiny explosives the sign of a size of a pinhead they are dissolving and, uh, yeah they're dissolving and once they they finish dissolving they explode and take out his major artery yeah.
1: no more no more summit and no more snake snakes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you, I mean, you're right. That That is one of the, one of the things that makes this so good is, is you, you literally, I mean, he has, the stakes are very high for him, um, yeah. you, you know, to complete this mission and be successful. Um, and he has, he has, you know, less than 24 hours. It's about 22 hours. He has by the time he sets off on the mission, um, you know, to not only locate the president, but, uh, you know, to get him out of whatever whatever dangerous situation he happens to be in, and get him across, you, you know, through this this crazy every man for himself, you know, you know, prison island, effectively, and uh, and, and get him back in time. So, so yes, yeah, straight away you've got a really good storytelling device here in the fact that, um, you, you know, the stakes are very high. And uh, Carpenter wrote this, you know, in conjunction with Nick Castle, who worked on. Um, Halloween uh, with him portraying Michael Myers. Um, yes,
0: and also the director of one of my favorite films, The Last Starfighter.
1: Oh my god! Yes, The Last Starfighter. How can we forget that <laughs> film? Awesome. Uh, but yes, and, and, and then obviously produced uh, with by Deborah Hill and Larry J. Franco, who who he he, he frequently collaborated with. Um, it even starts actually with an uncredited voiceover by Jamie Lee Curtis, who's doing oh, the. Yes. Uh, the information about what happened, you know, to, to, to get to where we are now, I between 81 and 97, sort of what happened in the U S and, uh, and why, you know, Manhattan Island was turned into this, um, maximum security prison. So, uh, um, yeah, it's, 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 it really is, uh, you know, straight away that the film wastes no time in, in setting up its premise and, um, uh, you, you know, setting the stakes and 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 getting you on side with this character, because this is apparently um, you know, read it reading a bit of information, listen to some interviews and whatever. Um you know, the backers of the film didn't necessarily want Kurt Russell because of his kind of Disney boy image that he'd had up until this point. And uh, you know, names such as Clint Eastwood were being sort of battered around as as a possible snake Cliskin.
0: Saying that, if they could have got um Clint Eastwood in there, we would have had a uh for a few dollars more reunion with him and Lee Van Cleef. Lee
1: Van Cleef, absolutely, absolutely. You'd have had you'd have got, you know, nods even more nods to the spaghetti westerns, which would have been um which mm. would have been cool. But but you know, we we, we like Kurt in this. He does a uh, he does a fantastic job. He looks awesome. I mean, apparently it was his idea to include the eye patch, um, which in you know defines the character quite nicely and um what i always thought was marvelous was was the fact that obviously which i'm sure we'll talk about briefly at some point but some 15 years later that they ended Uh, up making the sequel escape from la we will
0: we will talk about that yes and
1: Kurt, kurt russell looked as you know he had the same costume and he looked as good you know 15 years on as he did in this film so um you know, hats off to any any guys that can that can pull that off, and and, and Kurt certainly did. So, <laughs> so good well, stuff, you know.
0: Well, this is the thing. I didn't see this film until uh, nineteen ninety. Uh, my dad rented it from the um, video shop, but I was very familiar with the poster. I mean, the poster of the uh, Statue of Liberty lying on its side with, you know, gangs of people in the background and a snake running with the president and firing his machine gun. And then you had, uh, I think, also Adrian Barboa's on there as well, looking very sexy in her red dress.
1: Her very low-cut red dress. Yes, (laughs)
0: yes.
1: Uh, He was obviously Mrs. Carpenter at that point. And, um, uh, you you know, um, yeah, yeah, very, very, very very pleasing also.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, the the fact that... um... Uh, Kurt Russell's then girlfriend at the time, Susan Hubley, was in the film.
1: That's right, yes. Yeah, not, not, a, not a massive uh, part, but still in it, nonetheless.
0: <laughs> but uh, I, I do remember off... I, I remember love, loved watching that film the first time. I really It really stuck with me. I remember I did, like, an essay for English where I, st- I said it in the future, and I said that um, the opening lines was that... Um, uh, there was a RoboCop in every street and New York had been turned into a prison, which my uh, English teacher wrote. Um, yes, this is fine, but uh, really, you should come up with your own ideas. Oh. And, then he, and then he came up to me afterwards He said, oh, uh, I've never seen the film, but I, I really like the book.
1: <laughs> oh, OK. Interesting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is... Um, which is great because um, that was back in the day when they would do book adaptations of films.
1: Right, yes.
0: And uh, Alan Dean Foster was like the, the go to guy I remember for doing all these.
1: Wasn't he just? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So he, he, did, he did a novelization of this, did he?
0: I don't uh, I'm not sure if it was him. Right. I'm, I'm you know, I, I've not seen a novelization of this. I've seen a, that there was a board game right from parker but uh, i've never um well i'm sure there is because that was the thing to do at that time
1: yeah absolutely absolutely but, but...
0: i mean alan dean foster springs to mind because he he did adaptations of quite famous films like alien and alien and
1: star wars star wars yeah. star trek
0: mm. well well george lucas actually wrote um the f- for for star wars i think it was Empire Strikes Back that Alan Dean Foster did.
1: Yeah. And what he did is he did a, he, he actually kind of ghost wrote for George Lucas on that. Oh. And then what they did is they had a deal for him to do a, a spin-off book called Splinter of the Mind's, the Mind's Eye, Eye, which yes. is kind of the first oh, yes. foray into the expanded universe as they, yes. as they called it. But um, yeah, but no, I mean, you know, you know, escape, escape from New York, um, you, you know, considering it was made on a, you know a rather modest budget i mean it was about 6 million dollars uh, which obviously you know sounds like a lot but it that that really isn't um and uh you, you know it 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 looked great i mean w- what i thought was very creative they used a lot of um uh roger cormans guys for special effects one of which was actually james cameron um, yes. Do you know,
0: know what he did on the film? Well, he—I
1: d- know that he did some of the uh, the, the, the bit where the, the you see the jets, uh, the, the Air Force One, sorry, at the beginning uh, against the clouds and whatever. I know that was a um, composite model shot that he worked on, but also
0: right. uh, at well, the time
1: the wire graphics that they had on the displays uh, that actually. Was, was quite difficult to achieve back then. So rather than actually having them achieve with computers, at the time they actually built models and put the reflective um, edging tape on there to sort of create those uh, what were then seen as high-tech <laughs> computer wire models and stuff. And right. I know he was involved uh, in some of that as well. Yeah.
0: He? James Cameron, he does get a lot of, um, oh, what's the word? QDOS. Um, yes for for stuff that he didn't do he did the map paintings okay yeah yeah he did the map paintings especially of like new york and stuff it I, i've seen stuff where uh they say oh james cameron did all the special effects on um Battle beyond the stars when really he did he was the art director
1: yeah yeah
0: no, i mean absolutely. i know he came i know he came up with designs for the uh the vehicles and stuff but um it's um I, i've From reading a book about him, it was very much that um, there was other people involved in that—the same people that he brought on to do the Terminator.
1: Well, I thought the effects worked quite nicely in this. I mean, oh, the effects are
0: brilliant in it. Yeah, I mean, they 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 just they work really well. I mean, and they just they put you in there straight away because it's they use rear projection with people on the wall. And, you know, a lot of camera trickery. I mean, I love the shot where the heli- um, at the beginning, a helicopter's taken out two escapees on the water and it f- comes back to the Statue of Liberty. And so they shot the helicopter coming in and then at the Statue of Liberty, they had part of the set and then they panned across and they- there's a, like a-, a secret cut. And then as it moves, it moves on to their other set. That's which right. Is at a dam. That's and right. making it look like this whole um, military base is huge.
1: Yeah. Oh no. I mean, there was yeah, there was some really good, uh, you know, obviously use of camera with 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 Dean Cundy, but mixing that with with uh, the effects guys and um, y- you know back projections and. Um, you know, model composites and, and, and things Matt of that nature. Yeah, like matte yeah. paintings which yeah. made made it look absolutely fantastic. And uh in fact something I learnt uh, recently, um mm-hmm. you know, as as we're recording this, we're obviously right in the midst of absolute Star Wars mania now, which will be <laughs> another podcast definitely at some point. But apparently yes. um JJ Abrahams who who, who was a, a teenager at the time, but his dad was involved in in the production of Escape from New York. Again, family in the business. What can we say? But yep. um, but he apparently suggested to John Carpenter about the showing Adrian Barbeau's character being dead at the after you know the car had rammed, and John oh. Carpenter ended up shooting that some months after the production outside of his own garage. Um, <laughs> at his home, uh, you know, to put that in, but it's it's interesting names like that crop up, you know, because yeah. JJ is certainly man at the moment and deservedly so in my book, you know. Um yeah. I've loved him, you know, right from Alias days, but um, uh, but but you you know, um, interesting that, that that some of these names sort of come out wood, of the woodwork on these on these films that we think of as is sort of classic films now, but they were. They were there, you know. <laughs> well, so. I
0: mean, if you've lived, if you live in Hollywood, and it's, you know, and you have family that work in the business, then it, it bound, it's bound—it's bound to happen. Yeah.
1: No, absolutely. To happen, absolutely.
0: Yeah. If you can catch the bug at, at an early age, it's great because then you, it's better to get in there earlier than later.
1: Yeah no absolutely i mean um one of the things you know as as this is a new year's podcast to just sort Mm -hmm. of reminisce a little bit on 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 this past year um with something that that you know obviously ties into escape from new york here um is uh you know i'm pleased to say that this year um you know creatively um etc has has been a, a you know, quite a good year worked on, uh, you know, I've got back to sort of create my own work and and doing more stuff, but also um, I've been very lucky this year. I've, I've, I've got to, uh, to travel a little more, which is obviously next to films, you know, that that's my other big love in life and uh, Mm -hmm. haven't done nearly as much of that as I'd like to, but you know, I've, I've done a few things, but in terms of experiences this year, um, I was I was fortunate enough. I didn't I didn't actually go to the escape from New York one, unfortunately. But uh, for Halloween this year, Alan Howarth was uh, at the Union Chapel. All uh, oh, right. And I saw the he did a um, sort of Halloween two through six uh, concert, if you like, where he, he'd play. During scenes from Halloween, from those Halloween films, but the the night before, and I wasn't able to go to it, sadly. He, they actually had Escape from New York playing, but with him actually doing the music live, which would have been awesome to have seen. You know, he did. He did a little bit. He did the main theme um, on the night that I was there, but uh, but yeah, it would have been quite cool to have seen the film, and then of course. You, you know, we've done Fright Fest and we've, we, we've you know, done a few events and whatever. But, of course, you and I have been lucky enough as well this year to actually uh, see Kurt Russell in a Q&A, haven't we? Yes,
0: we did, as you probably know, because <laughs> we did a podcast about But, yes, we went to see uh, The Hateful Eight, which uh, has um, um, a few homages to The Thing.
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. It
0: actually uses a track from the soundtrack in the film
1: tarantino uh, uncharacteristically with a uh a composer on board in the form of, of Morricone, but uh rather than just sort of using existing um tracks and whatever he was there was actually stuff composed specifically for this film which is uh unusual but um yeah but no yeah no, but I,
0: mean, I think we've covered all exactly that.
1: but my point yeah. my point being uh this year's been you know actually a, a pretty good year for uh for doing stuff. And, um, yeah, that, that whole Alan Howarth, um, y- y- you know, uh, concert, if you like, um, obviously tied into this and I would have, yeah, I would have liked to have seen the, uh, escape from New York one, but, uh, never mind. It was good. It was good. What I did see. Um, so yeah, I mean, th- you know, th- this film, um, y- you know, I, I think what was ahead of its time in terms of, uh, you know creating this world regardless of whether things actually turned out that way or not um it really works uh it's really fun to watch still um i must admit watching it this time um you, you know made me realize you know how much i enjoy it and why you know it it, it absolutely um made concrete the reason for me choo- choosing it to to talk about tonight um and, uh, oh, I've just, by the way, I've just looked up while while we were talking there. Yes, there was, in 1981, Bantam Books did publish a movie tie-in novelization by an author called Mike McQuay. So okay. there you go. So there was there one. Go. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, r- really, really uh, works on a lot of levels, um, which I have to say, you know, when they... Years later when they finally announced that they were gonna do a sequel for for this. Let me just
0: stop you there before we get on to the sequel, because I want to talk about one f- bit of editing in the film that always drives me a little bit nuts. Okay. And I, I it, it doesn't I don't know why they did it this way. So it's about an hour into the film and uh Snake Pliskin has been captured by the Duke and his gang. Yeah. And you, you start seeing all this, like, uh, you know, the sun's starting to come up. Um, people are, are worried because they've lost contact with him. And, you know, there's the whole bit with... And then you see Snake wake up, and then it cuts to another... Sh- uh, you know, more more things happening. And then it cuts to him rolling, sort of kind of getting up, and a guy sort of standing there with a poncho walks away and then some more stuff happens, and it cuts back to Snake. And you see the guy in the poncho down the end of the hall. Right. Now, the, why it drives me nuts is because um, the day is progressing, but each time we cut back to uh, Snake Pliskin, it's the same scene.
1: Right, right.
0: So but, uh, what makes it a, a slightly annoying is the fact that it makes it look like that guy in the poncho's taken hours to walk down this hallway.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it takes away from the ticking clock aspect a little bit. Yeah. Cause it's distracting. Well, it,
0: yeah. It's it's yeah. And you know, it would have been nice to hold that back because, you know, they, they are worried about snake Plissken. Is he alive? Is he dead? You know, what's going to happen to him? And we, you know, I, I, I know they made the decision. Well, we'll show that he's all right, but they could have they could have just kept that as one scene instead of splitting it up into different things. And I've never really seen or heard anything about reasoning why that happened, mm. or in any um, director's commentary. There's it's never sort of talked about, and it's one of those things. It's it slightly drives me nuts every time I see it. I mean, um, the first time it really jumped out at me was. When I went to the John Carpenter all night to see Escape from New York, mm-hmm. and you know, <laughs> you couldn't quite miss that on the big screen. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's the it's the it's the one thing that slightly irks me when I'm watching it. I mean, it's not enough to diminish my enjoyment in the film, but it's always that thing that's like, why did they do that? Is it, it makes any sense?
1: Yeah. So it's the sort of thing that if you're lucky enough to um to meet john carpenter to speak to uh it's the sort of question you'd ask
0: him yeah <laughs> well it wouldn't be my first question because i don't think it'd be a very long conversation but um i would um yeah if i had the chance to sit down and talk to him uh, i would bring it up maybe the last thing because because <laughs> i know at the end of the day um sometimes you make editing decisions like that because you don't have a choice like, sometimes good choice yeah 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 Yeah. or it was just uh you know a creative choice at the time and for i don't think anybody else really talks about either i've not never heard anybody bring that up before so
1: Mm. yeah yeah i have to admit it's it's obviously something that hasn't bugged me too much and it's funny because a lot of things do bug me in films as you well know but um yeah
0: interesting interesting. well yes continuity in films (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which uh funny enough they did a pretty good job of when they came back to do Escape from LA. They they did, yeah. I mean it was yeah. let's be
1: honest, it was a it was a disappointing film in some ways, yes. wasn't it? um yeah well it
0: was a remake of escape from new york but it was just set in la
1: yeah yeah and it was supposed to be a sequel but it yeah it was kind of i mean i agree i, I liked the whole um and i think you mentioned this when you spoke when you had, did your podcast with with mike um yeah that time is and i totally agree with you i like the i like the sort of dark literally dark ending where he <laughs> uh where he sends yes. everything back into the dark ages you know by by you know, pulling the plug, as it were, and um, I thought uh, I thought that was that was quite a interesting and and, and, and brave note, uh, y- you know, to end on. Um, and it, you know, it had his good moments. I mean, Kurt was awesome in it, and whatever, but it, it just, you know, even though it had a higher budget and whatever, it just didn't quite have the uh, the, the the charm or the, or the grit of this film, did it?
0: No, and it was just. Um... You know the situations he got into were just ridiculous. I mean, the <laughs> whole basketball game.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, and then the surfboarding nonsense the surfboarding, as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it was kind of it was a disappointing yeah. sequel, yeah. Um, and, and it, unnecessary in many respects. Beat
0: by beat, it was you know just um, a remake of the first one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, the opening I, I quite liked as well. I, I quite liked the opening and stuff where. You know, you you see what kind of state the U.S. is in, and you know the whole. You know, I remember the trailer where you, it started off like an information video for the cinema, and it's like there's no smoking, no uh, <laughs> no rich meat, no red wine, no swearing, and then it cuts <laughs> into the into the into the trailer into the story. Yeah, and uh, I kind of I kind of like that they sort of pushed that world a bit more because in the first one it was just a military state. Yes. But in this new one, it was much more controlling. I mean, the bit where he's walking to the deportation area or debark. uh, God, It's a a tongue twister. But when he's going through, you know, the entry point into L.A. and you actually see people taking the suicide option because in the first one you hear it. Yes, that's true. The tannoy says it,
1: doesn't it? Yeah. 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 But
0: did you did you know who the tannoy was in the first one?
1: It was Jamie Lee, wasn't it? Yeah yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. But she, she only does that one. And then they use another voice for the other tunnel, which is a bit, bit strange.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Well, maybe it was mm. something they came up with later in, in post and
0: possibly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. But,
1: um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was, a you know, it was a disappointing sequel. It had, it had its good yeah. moments, but, um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't sort of live up to, uh, to the charm of this one. And, uh, yeah, you know this. This is this is one of those movies that I think is very, very easy to sit through. Um, and yeah, it's it's definitely got something. I think even by even by today's standards, um, there's still something enjoyable about this. You, you know, like you said, sort of pseudo western uh, dystopian future um, and. Yeah, it's it, it's it's an interesting. I like I like what you said about the uh, alternate reality. It's uh yeah. it, it's an interesting yeah. alternate reality that could well have been, you know.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Right. Let's move on. Yes. Um, right. My pick for movie heaven is um, Carrie.
1: Yay! Which we like. And
0: this was this this was picked by uh, Stuart Wright.
1: Oh, okay. Good old Stuart. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, this uh, being from Brian De Palma, this was his first um, studio f- film. And I remember seeing Scene by Scene with Mark Cousins. And he asked him why he chose to make this film. And he said, I needed a job.
1: Right. Yeah. And all, I mean, also, <laughs> we've talked a lot about Stephen King. And this was actually the first uh, Stephen King adaptation, wasn't it?
0: And It was because it was the first Stephen King book.
1: Ste- Absolutely
0: um Carrie was the one that you know launched him and i think also brought brian de palma to sort of you know international market i mean he'd been making films as an independent for quite a while up to this point but um it's it's really well done it's one of these films where he he uses a lot of his techniques we talked about in on the podcast for those other films so split screen, boyerism. Um, but it's also very, um, I'm going to use the word respectful. It's probably not the right word, but it's very respectful of of the main character played by Sissy Spacek. You know, even the, that opening scene with her in the shower, uh-huh. and the music going and everything like that. And yes, yeah, she's, she's naked and stuff, but you never really see anything. It's not titillating. You know, and then when you see the blood, I mean you really your heart goes out to this poor girl, especially what the other girls do to her.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. It's done very well actually, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those films that I think in the wrong hands it would have been a melodrama. It has melodrama elements to it. I mean the music in some places has that sort of melodrama feel. I mean, especially when she's, you know, at the um Oh, the grad—it's not graduation ball, is it?
1: Uh yeah, it is, isn't it? It's like the oh, homecoming. the prom. It's, the,
0: the, prom. Prom thing. it's prom. Yeah. the prom. Yeah. So that kind of music they have playing over the when they're at the prom, and she's been—you know—they've they've been voted king, queen
1: before the buckets it's, of pig blood. <laughs> yeah,
0: but I mean, uh, but then when when things like that happens with the whole telekinesis, you get the whole sort of psycho strings, so you know. Like, Well, not so many, but it's
1: yeah, no, definitely.
0: Every time she uses her power, and um, yeah, it was, um, it's a a really good film, and it it goes along. I watching it again recently, it, it, it goes at quite a pace. It's it's amazing how quickly it's it finishes, and you don't feel that you've been cheated. I mean, it's 90 minutes, but it's it goes quite quickly. Oh, yeah,
1: no, it packs a lot into that 90, definitely.
0: Um, yeah.
1: And, uh, you, you know, this is one of the one of the few occasions as well where um, Stephen King is actually, uh, you know, delighted with how this film came out, isn't he? <laughs> Which, um, you know, he's
0: always very vocal
1: yeah. at the ones he doesn't like, but um, he's also very vocal about how he does like this uh, interpretation.
0: Yeah, I was going to say he's very vocal for the ones he does like as well. Mm. No, absolutely. I think it's, it's, I think it's just the ones in between he's not bothered <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was all right yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah it's it's one of these films where uh i mean especially at the time when um every sort of high school film they were all in their 20s or 30s i mean it's funny seeing uh john travolta in this because i think after this he went on to do greece
1: Yes, I think he would have. Yeah, this was '76, yeah. wasn't it? This film. So yes. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> so it is funny to see him. Um, well, I mean, in this film, he's not uh, high school. He's actually outside. He's, I guess, like he's an older boy who's dating um, um, Nancy Allen's uh, character, mm-hmm. who's a who's a right proper bitch.
1: Indeed, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean the casting's very good in this because all of the um all of the roles, whether they're the main ones or the supporting ones, uh, I I I think the acting and whatever in, in this is it you know, for the subject matter is actually pretty decent. And yes. um yeah. you, you know, obviously like putting some mother, real life mother and daughter casting as well, with with Amy Irving and Priscilla Pointer and whatever, and there as as, sna- as the snails and whatever. So, um, oh,
0: okay, um, okay.
1: Y- you know, it's pr- pretty good, pretty good stuff. But,
0: uh, I thought for a second there you were going to say that, uh, Piper Laurie and Sissy Spacek. Oh, no, 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 oh, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, although,
1: although they play it very well off of each they other, they do play it
0: very um, well. I mean, um, Piper Laurie was very good at. It. I mean she could have played it. it 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 comes across very creepy that relationship. Oh big and, time. Um, yeah. You know, if if that hadn't worked, I don't think you would again feel such sympathy for 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 for, for Carrie.
1: Yeah. No, I mean I mean I think when I first th- this is one of those that until I um until later when I got to see it on video I probably had only seen sort of heavily edited for TV versions of this for quite some time. So I remember when I did, when I did finally see the full movie, I was, you know, I was surprised of how much more there was in it, if you know what I mean. So, um, but yeah, I think this is, um, you, you know, I've always, this is another one I've always owned and uh, I think does stand up as a, I mean, I like De Palma anyway, but this this is one of those again when we were trying to come up with our De Palma picks. Um, it was pretty tough because th- th- this was this was another one that was right up there for me, you know.
0: Yes, yes, uh, I remember after doing that podcast that we had a few people going, "Why didn't you do Carrie?"
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there, there was again the, the list we got for this had you know. <laughs> carlito's yeah. way and scarface and loads of De Palma stuff which is awesome and you know uh, yeah but can't talk about all of them
0: <laughs> no no he <we> can't <laughs> i think that would be a different podcast it would it would
1: <laughs> right. so let me ask then in terms of of, of Carrie, um mm-hmm. have you seen any of the other adaptations whether they're sequels or remakes or reboots or whatever have you seen any of those films Based well, on this.
0: the the thing is, um, when I was looking to, to watch this, I went to Netflix, mm-hmm. and Netflix had every other version but this one. Oh way. my god, really? So, so it had the it had the the TV movie, right? It had the sequel,
1: yeah,
0: and it had the remake, right? And you know what? I haven't watched them, right? Now I've heard that the remake doesn't do much to update it if anything it's very shot for shot like the brian De palmer one yeah it they've only is, just yeah. they've, they they. all i know is the, the um the opening scene there's somebody with a, a phone filming it
1: yes yeah i mean I, I i've only seen it the once and um yeah yeah, they they hadn't done too much to it to to change it significantly. I mean, they'd contemporized it a little bit, obviously, as they do with these things. They'd obviously cast an actress that's sort of much closer to the age of the character, um, it, it, you know, in the new version. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's one of those things. I, I I kind of wouldn't mind revisiting it, but it didn't it didn't particularly it di- it didn't have the impact of the palmas i felt it was
0: well the thing is is it's all to do with the casting because um sissy spacek she she looks very plain jane and then when she's made up she looks absolutely stunning chloe grace motes looks exactly the same throughout the whole film Mm -hmm. she looks you know she's a lovely looking girl and so you wouldn't think for any second that she. Anybody would be picking on her. Yeah. So yeah, I I could if say if I was casting the remake, mm-hmm. I would probably have cast her in the Nancy Allen role. Interesting.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah.
0: Because I mean, you know, I mean, we're talking about the you know, the actress who played a Hit Girl and played Hit Girl very, very well. <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, I mean, you know, she she's somebody who can portray somebody who can take care of themselves. So in Carrie, she was somebody who couldn't take care of herself. She was a weakling. She was the one that everybody picked on because she was different. And that's the whole that's why you're on her side even when she's doing all these horrendous things. Uh-huh. So she starts off looking like, you know, a model, or, you know, you know, that whole thing, oh my gosh, she's ugly, she's wearing glasses syndrome. Uh-huh. it it, it doesn't work yeah that's why it's you know it's not held in such high regard as the original is no
1: absolutely i mean again you know you you've got like uh julianne moore plays the mother in the in the remake and you know she's always always good value for money but um yeah i don't know It, it just for some reason i watched it and it was just like oh yeah yes it's it's fine and yeah, I haven't actually gone back and, and revisited it since. But um, what I am intrigued about that I haven't seen at all, and I've got my reason for wanting to, is the um, the, the two thousand and two uh, television movie. And my reasons for wanting to see that is it was actually uh, written and produced by Brian Fuller, who went on. We've we discussed it a little bit. He went on to do the Hannibal series that, that, that we oh, recently okay. had and apparently this was supposed to be the pilot for a carry series that never materialized um right so i'm right. kind of intrigued actually to, to to take a look at it at some point but um again i haven't i haven't actually uh, done that yet but um yeah. yeah i don't know i don't i don't know too much
0: about that one slightly confuses me a little bit. Um so you know at the end when after she stabbed her mother and they've fallen down the stairs and then the house starts falling in on itself. Yep. Now I've obviously I've not read the book so I heard somewhere that it's actually fall it's collapsing in because stones are raining down on it. Hence why when you see the um the dream sequence at the end that her gravestone is covered with rock in stone yeah yeah Yeah. and i have to say it it wasn't very clear it did look like it was sort of a precursor to the pope the house in portage being you know demolished in portage cases being sucked into a vortex Mm. oh
1: it's quite similar isn't it
0: yeah yeah it was one of those things where it wasn't quite clear what was happening you know why would the house suddenly start collapsing in on herself like that i mean i mean i guess you could say that um it was carrie white you know the the guilt of her killing her mother you know made her her subconscious used her power to do that i don't know but it was a bit unclear
1: yeah yeah i mean i don't know what the answer to that is i see it just like you do really that that, you know it's Mm. kind of done i mean and of course obviously that you know, the whole ending is, is is set up for that sort of, um, you know, shock jump ending, which was, which was kind of yes. a classic at the time, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> well, I think it was one of the first films to do it. Yeah. And it was very much uh, copied. I know um, Friday the 13th did a similar yeah. um, shock ending. Actually, I
1: think if memory serves, they didn't do that on the remake. That is one of the things they did change, oh,
0: I right. but, think. Um, as I'm never going to watch it, what do they do? I can't at the end remember. Of I'm just trying months. to think. Um, <laughs> it was that. Yeah, kid. yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't
1: really. Uh, hold on. I don't really remember. But
0: um, So they haven't left it open for a sequel, have they?
1: No. I, uh, hold on. Uh, she visits the grave, puts her head. To- Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember. I know, I know, oh. I know. I know she visits the grave, but there's not, there's not the hand scene. That's for sure. Right. But I don't know. I think maybe the grave, the the gravestone cracks or something. But oh. something happens. Oh, okay. But it's not the same, same. jump yeah. ending. Yeah. It's not. It's not what you expect there to be. You
0: know. I have to say though, in the original, that the ending shot is brilliantly shot because it's uh, night for day. Mm-hmm and everything's in reverse yeah no
1: absolutely yes. so it gives it that really bizarre sort of dreamlike feel and um yeah yeah you can see in the background you do see a car
0: <laughs> driving back. yes yeah.
1: but other, other than that it's pretty seamless
0: but no but it adds to it though.
1: yeah 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 i don't know whether it was intentional but you're right it does kind of add to yeah. the weirdness of it and um it works rather nicely
0: the scene in the actual prom itself is is really well handled. I mean, the use of split screen, but also that very long one shot mm-hmm. that goes past everybody and round people and then up to the the bucket of blood.
1: Absolutely. Now, I mean, this is what. Well, you, you know, I mean, we've talked. You know, when we were talking um, a couple of podcasts back, uh, where we were saying about, uh, I think it was Frank Oz, we were talking about how he doesn't. He doesn't have a, you know, he does all sorts of different genre of film, but doesn't yeah. have a particular style as such. Whereas, you know, De Palma is a very showy director. There's, there's no doubt about that. You know, he's oh yes. very much so.
0: Um, yes, a friend of mine said he's very good at um, keepy uppy, but he could never do a full ninety minutes.
1: Yeah, well, that that, yeah, I get, it's fair enough. Which I, mean, I, I never totally kind of agree agreed with...
0: with him on, tell the truth. Yeah. On some I, on some of the films, yeah. I mean, like a film like Snake Eyes, yeah, I totally agree. But I mean, there was a lot more films that worked.
1: Yeah, well, this is certainly one of them. <laughs> yeah, and oh, and you're way. right. I mean, this is the thing that sort of launched him into the big leagues because, that, as you rightly said, he'd been doing and experimenting with, um you, you know, films for quite some time. But it, it was it was Carrie that really sort of put him on the map and and you know led to led to all those things that followed and. Um, uh, you know as far as as far as Stephen King adaptations go uh although when we did that podcast we didn't necessarily pick this as our best one but it's certainly up there isn't it
0: definitely yeah. definitely yeah I mean it's that was our personal choices hmm. but uh at least we got to come back and talk about it
1: yeah no absolutely i'm glad we have i'm I'm glad you picked it i was pleased when you said i was like oh good i'm glad you i'm glad you picked that one because it gives us a a chance to sort of revisit it um and uh you know at least have some say on it so yeah that's 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 cool but um yeah i I mean anyone who's listening that hasn't seen this i highly recommend that you do because you know um it is a it it is a well-crafted Uh, horror film and it is a really good adaptation of that book
0: right well let's move on (laughs) now we're going to pick our movie hell yeah so keith all right what was your pick for movie
1: well again like i said because there were so many in that list um you you know it being hard to pick a, a movie heaven um i actually did find it equally as hard to pick a movie hell, simply because (laughs) there wasn't a lot on the list that I didn't like. Um, there was only one film on the list that I hadn't seen. Um, yeah. And everything else, um, I didn't really have any major issues with. Um, so I went with what, you know, I remembered to not be very good and on, on revisiting it, it's like, well, yeah, it doesn't quite work, but it's not necessarily, an awful film and um that's i'm afraid another brian de palma film it is actually femme fatale from 2002 which was picked by andy lunn again i don't know andy but um uh <laughs> you, you know thank you thank you for putting this up there as a, a choice i don't know whether you think it's heaven or hell but uh, i have picked it for movie hell um my, my my reason my reason for picking this uh i, I yeah. had only watched it the once and i've revisited it and there's that you know there's there's a lot of quite good things in this i mean it's very de palma in many many mm. many ways yeah. however yeah. however um it does have one <laughs> one kind of story floor and if this is the thing you were saying about your uh, your friend that said that he can do the what was it the build up but not the straight 90 or whatever it was
0: oh um, uh, keep you up yeah there, yeah, yeah
1: I, I i would say this is this is probably a good example of that actually um what it is uh it, it's back to one of his sort of erotic thriller mystery type films um it stars uh rebecca romjan Stamus who uh and obviously the gorgeous i might add rebecca who um had obviously you know, sort of shot to fame with with playing Mystique in Brian Singer's X Men film, uh, just a couple of years before, um, and obviously which has been rebooted with Jennifer Lawrence uh, playing a sort of younger version. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, in this, in in all her sort of natural blonde beauty, um, and also Antonio Banderas, who. Uh, apparently I've read actually did this film. Um, he was persuaded by his, his Mrs. Melanie Griffiths to do it because obviously she, De Palma had given her, her break with, with, with some of his early films like body double. Um, yeah. And uh, you, you know, obviously him being a very stylistic director uh, thought it, thought it might be a, 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 a good film uh, to do. Um it's quite an ambitious film uh it starts off i mean again we've got everything in this we've got long 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 camera shots we've got overhead tracking we've got split screen um you know we've got slow-mo we've 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 got the use of all the things that you know de palma likes to have in his sort of arsenal of of filmmaking techniques
0: well yeah I mean this. I mean, I absolutely enjoyed the opening sequence. Yes, the, the robbery at, Cannes. at the
1: Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, which was, it was amazing.
0: It was it was amazing because um, it looked like they were actually shooting it as the festival was going, was going yeah. on. Now I've seen a few films where they've had like you know they filmed during the festival. Um, I remember Mr. Bean's Holiday, filmed at the festival, and uh, a few other films as well. Oh, like um, what just happened. Yeah. With Robert De Niro. Yeah. But this is the first one that actually had like a, a robbery going on. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of funny because he he it did like he'd taken the things he'd learned from doing Mission Impossible and he threw them in there a little bit because you did have the guy down the pipe on the wires Trying to knock out uh, a fuse or something, wasn't he? That's right. Pole. That's right. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. no. I mean, it's very well set up. It's, it's got you know, mm. it's, it's essentially a diamond heist, but the diamonds are in the form of a uh, a very revealing dress that another that another stunningly beautiful woman is wearing um, at yes. this, and um, she is she is basically seduced by um, uh, Rebecca, who's who's sort of posing as a photographer. At this um, at this can film event, and uh, you know she's sort of seduced by her and taken off into a into um, a, a flashy toilet cubicle. Uh, where
0: well, I wouldn't. It's funny you say seduced because she says one thing to her and then off she goes. Well,
1: yeah, but then <laughs> but then it's Rebecca.
0: <laughs> but when we find out that she's in cahoots anyway. Yes, I mean that was actually that was that was kind of that was a nice reveal of what actually happened because you just thought that she... Because um, um, Rebecca's character double-crosses the other guys in the, the gang. Uh-huh. And uh, it does look like that she's given them a fake and she's stolen... Yeah, she's was. done a
1: switcheroony which is yeah. which is which is one of the twists in this that does work. Um, although yeah. there are yeah. many twists in this that actually don't, which is which is kind of the problem.
0: Yeah.
1: with with, yeah. with the film, as it were. So so it starts, as I said, with a very very stylized, nicely shot heist. Um, and yes, you, you're absolutely right in in the vein of of what he'd done very well for the Mission Impossible franchise. Um, you, you know, a few years earlier and you know this is all obviously because it takes place in Cannes. you know there's a lot of the action that takes place in in, in other parts of france it it goes to paris etc um and basically there's there's this there's a doppelganger so again it's another one of these themes there there's so rebecca's essentially playing sort of two roles in this
0: (laughs) yes well let's set it up. So what happens is, she, so she's on the run from the rest of the gang and uh, she gets recognised by this elderly couple who thinks that she's her daughter. And I thought, oh, okay, obviously the the daughter must have disappeared quite a while ago or something. Mm-hmm. And um, what happens is that one of the gang men- members finds her and actually throws her off a balcony and she happens to say land on something soft but the couple are there and they take her away and they take her back home and so she wakes up yeah in this house she's never been in before
1: well yeah i mean basically we find out that the 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 person that they think she is um had basically uh lost her husband and daughter in a in a car accident i believe if memory serves yeah and yeah. um yeah. uh you know had gone into t- a depression and and kind of disappeared um and y- y- you know they they think cuz she's a dead ringer uh they they think this is her um and then she she ends up having this uh, bath uh scene where uh the, the the real i think the character is called lily isn't it the real lily yeah um returns home uh and basically does commit suicide in front of uh rebecca's other character so the the, the one the, the 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 criminal uh rebecca it um, sees Lily, the one she's mistaken for, commit suicide. Um, so as a, as a result, she decides to sort of take take her life on. So it's one of these mistaken yes. identities. But she sees this as a way out of being, um, you know, followed and, and, and hunted by, uh, you know, these people that she double crossed.
0: Right. I have to say this before. We move yes. On. First time watching it i thought that she, they were the same character and she was having a flashback mm-hmm. that she was seeing herself with the gun yeah and then so i thought that maybe you were to see that either she didn't pull the trigger and just ran out or that that it was like a grazing shot which may have led to amnesia and we find out that actually this thief is actually this girl mm-hmm. And she's been living this other life all this time but no but <laughs> that's not what happens no. but yes so she takes on this other woman's life yes and finds her way back to the states
1: well th- this is where it starts becoming yeah. prob- problematic now in my view because mm-hmm. suddenly
0: we ju- yeah. we jump
1: seven years ahead and yes she is now the uh, wife of an uh, American ambassador living in France, who's played by Peter Coyote. And yeah. um, and then this is where Antonio Banderas comes in because he's kind of...
0: Well, a... actually, he did come in a bit earlier because he took a photograph of Rebecca's character on the steps of the church. Seven years earlier, it, yeah. Seven years earlier because um, he's... It, Well, he's a a paparazzi photographer, but he's also an artist. And he's making this massive collage of photographs he's taken over days of this area. He's trying to find that one piece that will make it special. Yeah,
1: which is actually, I have to say, that bit. I mean, like like, like mm. I said, you know, I'm, I'm revisiting it. I thought, actually, it's not so bad after all. And it's certainly a well-made movie. And that is actually quite yeah. a nice bit of production design, I have to
0: say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to a point that you actually see a, a lot of that montage at the end of the, uh, of, uh, the over the end credits. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so she's back in France, and what it is is that uh, the paper wants to get a photograph of her because she's very press shy. Yeah, she's done everything within her power to stay out of the press for
1: obvious reasons. Yes, and uh, yeah. of of course, you know she's she's this ambassador's wife, etc. So yes, he he is sent on a um uh, a job. To, to try and get this picture of her, which, which he does. And, 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 you know, th- this picture ends up, um, y- you know, being on, uh, billboards, etc. And what this means is the, by this time, the people she's double crossed from the heist seven years earlier, have, have, have got out of, of, um, jail now they've got out on parole or whatever, and they see this picture and, um, it kind of it exposes her somewhat, and um, actually, you know, that they, they go in search of, don't they? And, yes, um, they do. Yeah, and this is where it all gets a bit fantastical and and a, and, a, and a tad <laughs> confusing.
0: Because... well uh, i well i'm confusing the fantastical bit comes later <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh dear <laughs> but uh go on
1: well there's this uh there's this truck accident isn't there where um the the the, the woman that she'd done the heist with
0: <laughs> I, the, the 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 two gang members find the her accomplice the who we assumed is the person that's pawned off the uh, the jewels the this gold dress thing and um and so they f- they throw her in front of a truck which i have to say was very nasty mm.
1: oh definitely yeah very yeah. nasty yeah so so she is killed and yeah. um uh and 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 basically at this point at this point, she decides to try and frame Antonio Banderas's character, um, yeah, for her own sort of staged kidnapping.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit it's, heavy-handed. Well, it is because it, it it all is based upon the fact that he has to do certain things, and if he didn't do those certain things, he just wouldn't be. You know, it just wouldn't work. There has to be too many contrivances in place, you know. I mean, the fact that he goes back and finds her because he he's sympathetic. Sorry that he took that, those photographs.
1: And I'm sure it helps that she's smoking hot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she plays up that she's sort of suicidal and also that she's not well and uh him being a gentleman decides to um go to the chemist to get a stomach and that's when she decides to call the police on him yes
1: yeah and he gets arrested and and um yeah taken into this whole thing so you know he's been the yeah. sort of uh well somewhat innocent bystander um but you know this 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 convoluted plan that she had in yeah. place um uh kind of kind of works and, and and gets him into this
0: uh well yeah i mean what happens is the police um take him to see the ambassador and the ambassador doesn't want to press any charges and that when you when you see that you think oh okay he must be a really nice bloke <laughs> and uh his, his aide sort of you know ushers them out and stuff and doesn't want to know anymore and of course and Antonio Banderas wants to find out more, so he again searches Rebecca's character out and finds her. And she reveals to him that it's one big plot to, you know, make it look like she's been kidnapped, that her husband's gonna give her the money so she can, you know, escape Go the off. country and not yeah. be found.
1: With this with this uh With this fortune and etc and uh then they had that really weird i mean this is this is this is a little bit de palma you know doing it for for just the sake of it i mean this this film yeah this film for a de palma film doesn't have uh actually hardly any nudity in it but you do have that um uh you know very sensual erotic uh strip scene which seemed to be sort of put in there for the sake of it in some respects at that really awkward um bar that yeah. they're at <laughs> yeah and which i guess i guess yeah. by the time you know the end of the film it kind of makes sense on a level but when you're watching it at the time you're thinking what the hell is going on here
0: <laughs> she's just a randy lady she just wanted to you know she just yes. wanted to have some sex and uh she didn't mind if it was with uh antonia banderas or this you know french low life
1: yeah a strange guy this kind of yeah 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 biker type guy but um <laughs> yeah. uh, but but antonio banderas actually you know he sees a way out here uh, yes. um, interestingly because this is kind of the future at this point when from when the film was made isn't it but he had a uh a, a mini disc recording device <laughs> Oh
0: god. <laughs> well i i gather that it um the the seven years later i think was probably 2002
1: yeah yeah
0: i guess i guess i, I mean it, it 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 says seven years later it don't look seven well years no and, later. and weirdly nobody's really aged or anything no, and, and they're and not when changed their can, hairstyle or anything
1: can i think it says 2000 or something for the film festival or something like that but any anyway yeah whatever I mean, all right
0: but that's... i mean it's that's just a, that's just a, a a piece of detail that's in the background yeah that's
1: the least of the problems really with
0: this
1: (laughs) so so of course when when uh they sort of set up for the husband to come and deliver this ransom um antonio banderas kind of has this this moment where he he reveals the scheme and he's he's got it recorded uh, as I yeah. said on on this, uh, her giving the whole plan, he has got recorded the whole time. They then they she gets thrown off 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 the bridge, doesn't she? And, right. In, and no, this is wait,
0: way- wait, wait 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 wait. Okay. She shoots Peter Coyote and then shoots. yes She shoots. Yes, and she shoots yes, yes, she does. Absolutely. And she then shoots Antonia Banderas, who's holding and a gun with no bullets. Yeah. And. And it's then when the, the two gangsters turn up and then, yes, she gets thrown off the bridge.
1: She gets Now, this is where it all becomes a bit... This is where it really doesn't work. This is the,
0: yeah, this is the fantastical bit. <laughs>
1: because now it's revealed in this sort of twist ending that, as I said, is the bit that sort of lets it down, really, that uh, everything we've been watching since her having the bath at the apartment of... of Lily so this this doppelganger she has you know seven years earlier has all been a dream <laughs> it's it's the Bobby Ewing effect <laughs> it's all been a dream and she wakes up and obviously she wakes up at the point where Lily this this you know suicidal woman who looks like her that's lost her husband and child comes back to kill herself but now she's She plays things out differently and she actually um stops her from from committing suicide.
0: How she stops her by committing suicide is telling her that she's gonna get on a flight and meet a man and her life is gonna work out pretty well. Exactly, because she's had this (laughs) permission. What the fuck?
1: Yes, now it is
0: seriously going, what the fuck? It
1: is. And, and, And 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 if that isn't enough it actually yeah. goes a step even further. <laughs> yes, this is this
0: is so funny. So you see Lily getting a van, a van. Yes. Get, get ready for this. The van. And yes. and she oh no no. that's, that's not sports. Let's <laughs> let's build up to it. So she gets into a van with a a, a gentleman who's talking and you're thinking now in any other film this would just be, she would jump in the car and she'd be driving off and it would have been focused on her and you wouldn't hear anything from the driver. But then the driver has lines and you're like, "Whoa, what the hell? What's going on here? And he's saying how much he likes her necklace. And she tells her about it being her daughter's necklace. And um, and and she's he's, he says, oh, where can I buy one of these? My daughter would really love it. And she gives it to him. <laughs> and, and she, he hangs she, it on the mirror she says something like hang, he hangs it on the mirror i was just hang it on the mirror and you know you can think of your daughter or it's, it's something really <laughs> crappy anyway so then we jump 7 years in the future yes again and we again and we revisit the the the, the scene where the accomplice gets murdered but it plays out a lot different this time mm. because um Rebecca's character there, and she she seems to be a nicer person now.
1: Oh yes, she's a changed person. So
0: she's, she's not such a yeah, she's not such a bitch anymore. No,
1: that was only in her, <laughs> that was only in her dream. Was she a bitch. Was only in her
0: dream? Yeah, and um, and so she meets up with her a cohort who turns out to be the girl from Cannes.
1: Yes, the one with the diamond dress
0: who actually, what happened was she walked out with the real diamond dress.
1: Mm-hmm. They did a switch a
0: A switch, a switch, a double switch. Mm. <laughs> and, of course, the two gang members turn up. But what happens this time <laughs> is that the van comes around the corner and the sun <laughs> glints off the necklace, blinding the... the two gangsters who then fall back into these two spikes, killing themselves.
1: Yeah. It's kind of yeah. It, it, this this bit really is like I mean it's it's nicely shot, but it's not good.
0: Antonio Banderas captures the whole thing on fo- in photographs and puts it in his montage. In his,
1: yeah, in his collage. Yeah, and, and and obviously meets um meets Rebecca and. That, that it's one of the cheesiest endings ever i hate this where yeah they're walking together and he and and you know he, he says about buying her a drink or something and he goes uh you, you kind of remind me of someone and she goes oh maybe it's someone from your dreams or something like that is the <laughs> last line and it's like a real groaner so um so yeah yeah yeah. this this film you know it's 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 a well-made well-crafted film but it it, it's flawed it doesn't work i mean it's one it's one too many twists and it's just
0: yeah and also it just it's so far out of you know normal common sense yeah it's it's so silly i mean i don't know uh, i don't know if that was how it was written or if that was a rewrite or you know it's just like how can we end this yeah
1: well what's interesting with this one is this film is yeah. actually written by i mean a lot of the films that brian de palma's he he adapts and directs and you know does a very good job of like he did in the aforementioned yeah. carry for example which was obviously yeah. stephen king's um story but in this particular instance brian de palma wrote this film as well and i just think that uh. Uh, that's you know he's 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 a very good director and the idea of this film um you, you know is sort of good in terms of premise <laughs> uh you, you know the mistaken identity the the voyeurism the you know all the things that he sort of plays along with but it, it just when, when when it's executed it just you know just doesn't make sense because as i said you've got you've got a dream sequence then you've got you know a couple of different twists on twists, and it's just it's just a bit of a mess. so i, I actually felt that the uh, the first half of the film was 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 pretty decent actually. um it looked nice. it was it was you know fairly well performed and 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 you know certainly nicely shot and whatever. but the 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 the, the payoff to it was was just ridiculous and and laughable, frankly,
0: so and self-indulgent. I mean' that's... Oh, very. That's I mean, what I was trying to say is, you know, hearing that he wrote it himself, it's very self indulgent. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like trying to get, you know, everything into one film. And really, it should have just have been about one thing yeah, instead of all that. So, yeah, it was, um, I have to say, I mean, it was, it's certainly, I would have, it was one of those films that. I wish I could have gone, we could both have gone to the cinema to see it and then we could have talked about it immediately afterwards because we could have had the best conversation (laughs) ever, the longest conversation ever, trying to figure out what was going on and stuff. I think also the fact that making it, because if it had been, say, not so clear about being a dream, that was maybe something else maybe yeah. i don't know but you know imagine if david lynch had done this film
1: yeah yeah no absolutely the,
0: the, the answers wouldn't have been so clear-cut no and,
1: and this is one of the problems and
0: that, you might that might have worked for this story
1: yeah i mean this is one of the problems with this it was almost like trying to be too clever for its own good because a lot of the stuff yes. that it had done in the in the seven years that were the the the, the dream sequence if you like <laughs> it, it, it when you when you actually look back on it and think about it they'd set some stuff up design wise quite quite cleverly because obviously yeah. you, you know when you realize it's a dream and you sort of read into it you think oh okay well that can, but the trouble is it, it, this is the problem by the time people have got to the end i'm sure that they don't really want to think about go back and sort of revisit that so it's almost trying to be too clever for its own good and you've got way too many twists and coincidences in this uh just to make it sort of hang together and um yeah I I just think it lets itself down it's 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 a good setup it's it's exactly what you said your friend said about it's um it's good but it doesn't it doesn't go the full the full you know 10 yards or whatever it, it, it stops short of that and um yeah that's why and this is kind of what i remembered of it so it's why i chose it as movie hell from from a list that <laughs> that, that that was pretty much decent film so um yeah you, you know uh yeah i i think this is this is a weaker um a weaker film although it, this does truly have his style and his, his shooting and editorial and narrative style um you you know throughout and uh you you, you know the 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 performances aren't too bad um but as i said it's just it's just it's just too much this ending it's just relying on too many twists and too much coincidence and uh particularly when you get to the whole um you know necklace sunlight blinding (laughs) causing the truck to to, to make the guys jump out the way and all this sort of thing it, it, it's just it's just a bit uh, it's just a bit ridiculous really and and a, and a cheesy line to end on where she says oh only you look like you know you recognize me like we've met before or something and she says only in my dreams and it's like oh please come on
0: <laughs> you could
1: do better than that
0: <laughs> yes oh indeed
1: so there you go. Right. We got there. God, I was there worried you we weren't going to get through that, but
0: we got through it. <laughs> well, I have to say, it, it's it's an interesting film. It's something you can certainly talk about, and I'm sure it has its fans. But I know my pick, I wouldn't say it's the same. <laughs> I would definitely would not say it's the same. <laughs> right. Uh, my pick for movie hell is mm. Space Truckers, which was picked by Ben Woodywiss. Mm. And... Um, <laughs>
1: Was this picked by Ben because he likes it or hates it?
0: <laughs> Let me just say this first. When we were doing the Stuart Gordon episode with Mike Tack, me and Mike Tack, um, I picked RoboJocks. This was my second choice for movie hell. Why I went with RoboJocks was I had a, a, a bit more of a relationship with it. it. My expectations were built very high for that film and um, you know was let down by the final film. Space trackers, on the other hand, um, I remember seeing the ad- adverts on the on the videos and stuff thinking, well oh, this looks interesting. The special effects looked really good. and they a- actually have to say it, the best thing about this film is the special effects in it. The special the, all the space stuff is top notch uh-huh. model work shame about the story <laughs> yeah i mean th- this was this was
1: the one film on the list um that had come through from listeners and this was the only film i hadn't seen okay and um i have to say through, through, through my life i've certainly wasted some money over the years with with different things <laughs> and this film um uh, i couldn't actually find anywhere and, and and you know I I don't want to be a hypocrite when it comes to uh, illegal downloads and things like that so I couldn't find this film by any sort of uh, legal means so um, I ended up buying it uh, I bought the uh, Italian version uh, off of Amazon and I paid 15 pounds for it okay And I have to say it's probably the worst £15 I've ever spent in my entire life because, um, you you know, I don't mind schlock sci-fi stuff. I mean, I like everything from, you know, Butt Rogers in the 25th century to Star Crash, for God's (laughs) sake, you know, Uh, but this was just dreadful. <laughs> so <laughs> I will let you continue but I I just want to pipe okay. in with that straight away that uh, um
0: I'll save you the pain. Yes. Yes. Right. Um it the film starts off with a moon base being attacked by an unknown assailant which turns out to be this killer droid and the thing is it takes out a lot of troops and vehicles and stuff. And uh It gets to the last two men, played by, you have the the president of the company, played by Shane Rimmer, and Charles Dance.
1: Yeah, what the hell was he doing, man?
0: (laughs) Well, he was certainly, um, you know, playing that role up as much as he could. He certainly, yeah, uh, it looked like it was uh, a bit of a cameo at the beginning, and uh, Mm -hmm. of course it's not. It turns out to be a bigger role. But uh, it turns out that it was a test of this uh, of this killer robot. And um, the president of the company wants to use it against Earth. He yeah. hands. And he doesn't want anybody to know about this. So he uses the droid to kill Charles Dance's character. Hence why you think he's not in it for the rest of the film. Mm. You think, wow. Cameo. That, was, that must have been a nice paycheck for a cameo. Ah, uh, we wish. <laughs> so... Then, cut to credits, Space Truckers. Space Truckers? I mean, if you went into this film cold not knowing what it was called, and you see that opening sequence, you think, "Oh, this is going to be a war film, you know? Mm -hmm. It's going to be humans against killer robots. It's going to be great. And then it goes Space Truckers, and you see a truck in space, Mm. and you think, oh, okay. So we get introduced to Dennis Dennis Hopper's character, who we learn is the only independent trucker out there because everybody else has sponsorship from different companies and he's flying to the spaceport and now i'm saying the special effects in this look really good yeah actually, the spaceport the truck everything yeah. looked great
1: the truck actually reminded me of the um uh, the gemini freighter colonial movers from battlestar galactica you know in terms of its <laughs> design because obviously it, it was a cargo uh ship wasn't it so
0: yes And yeah,
1: actually um because
0: to start with i was
1: thinking oh okay maybe but mm.
0: <laughs> are we talking original or new well actually that's they, they used
1: that in both it was it was in the right. original but it was one of those little easter eggs that they stick into the ah, right. reimagined as well but uh that's a whole nother podcast is that
0: the is that the ship that had like um the like the circles on it like, had three circles. No, no, or that's this, so, no. this
1: is the one that was basically like uh, it looked, it, well, it looked like that, like a lot like that, right? Truck ship, basically.
0: Okay. Yeah, all right, okay, okay. I need to go back and watch the classic Battlestar galactic Oh, see. it's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. <laughs> Which yeah, this this film. Oh, gosh, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we get introduced to the, the world of trucking and, um. Yeah, Dennis Hopper's character is having a problem uh, with George Went, who's uh, running a—I guess it's a chain of restaurants or something—and he's hauling square pigs. <laughs> these big square pigs. Yeah, you know, because you know, the—I guess in the future, genetically modified food has really become Frankenstein food, because these don't look very healthy pigs. I wouldn't—I wouldn't eat at that place, not at all.
1: No, it looked pretty nasty. Yes.
0: Yeah. So they're getting a quarrel about money, and uh, jo- George George Wentz's character is offering too too little, and so he's trying to sort of steal the cargo off Dennis Hopper. And but you know, Dennis Hopper, he's a he's a seasoned trucker. He knows what he's doing, and you know, he f- he forts their attempts. I mean, that lovely bit about throwing a punch in zero space <laughs> yeah yeah and so he we, we get to see the space station and we meet uh, a character played by debbie Mazer. and uh, dennis hopper is always trying to you know propose to her trying to get her to marry him and stuff like that and why wouldn't you he know. Absolutely. It's, yeah i mean she's just flirting she's just working there trying to make her way back to earth because she needs to pay her mum's medical bills.
1: I did quite like the idea of the, um they had like the diner that was curved around the, yeah, sort of That's circumference right, yeah. of the, um you, you know, ship or whatever. I thought that was, that was actually quite an interesting little design idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. They, they, had, they looked like they took the habitation ring from 2001 yes. and then just throw it, just made it really dirty and cheesy (laughs) (laughs) yeah turn it into a diner yeah (laughs) anyway we get to meet steven dorf's character who's a young trucker who's trying to you know he's he's keen he wants to get in there and stuff like that so circumstances happen that um dennis hopper has is going to haul this illegal freight back to earth and he needs to do it within a short amount of time there's a deadline So he takes Debbie Moser's character, who agrees to marry him if he does this, and he takes Stephen Dorff as like a partner. And uh, so they fly out into space, and uh, they go through um, this dark area where nobody goes because there's pirates and there's a lot of wrecks and stuff, and it turns out that there's black ice out there. (laughs) They're like black asteroids which they crash into and disable the ship and uh, unfortunately ruptures the heating system. So this means that while Dennis Hopper is outside fixing the ship, uh, Debbie Mazer and Steve Dorff get to take their clothes off.
1: Yeah, they get to be oily and half naked. Yes.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Not gratuitous at all.
0: (laughs) No. No, and I, I remember when this came out, this was a PG. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's been reclassified because on IMDb it's a twelve now, but uh, I remember at the time on VHS it was a PG and it was like, ooh, okay. This is very saucy. Well, I mean, to be fair,
1: they're only down to underwear, yeah. aren't they? But yeah, yeah. They're, yes, they're,
0: but they're still, still. Yes. Still. Anyway, so um, they get captured by pirates and we learn that uh, the captain... Is Charles dance? He somehow survived being vaporized by his own creation, and um, he's uh, rebuilt himself. Uh. He's a new man. And this
1: is where I'm more surprised about it being a PG, actually, where this ends up leading.
0: <laughs> so um, they have a policy of of killing the crews that they uh, they actually uh, board their ships and stuff, and uh, and Debbie Meza. Um, offers herself or Charles Dance offers her the way to save her friends and she takes it and she's taken up to the captain's cabin where, uh, um, yeah, he's, uh, as we see, he's not a fully functioning man and uh, he's built himself a few devices to replace the things he's missing
1: is this instead of robot robo jocks it's robo cocks isn't it <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> well we could have been chainsaw cock because he the amount of time he was trying to get that motor running <laughs> I, I
1: mean, I mean you, absolutely for a pg-13 this is actually quite close to the mark isn't it this bit yeah because it's a and yeah. the other thing that's nasty is it's essentially in some respects a bit of a not that it happened, but it's a bit of a rape scene as well, isn't it? It's it's kind of...
0: Well, she's agreed to it, yeah. and he offers her a few either drugs or drinks or anything just to make it, you know, a bit easier on her. Yeah. And she's like, no, I just want to get this over and done. What
1: was Charles Dance doing? <laughs> I mean, I just don't get it. I don't get why he did this. He must have got paid. Uh, most of the budget of this film must have gone to him, surely.
0: <laughs> Maybe, or he was a fan of the director. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, Stuart Gordon has made some very good films.
1: Right. This certainly isn't one.
0: <laughs> I mean, his, his Lovecraft adaptations are really yes, good. Yes, I've
1: heard. I need to watch them. I've not seen them, to be
0: fair. And as I say, it's a good-looking film. I mean, effects-wise, it's it's good-looking. Mm. But, uh, you know, story-wise, it's all let down, really. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, what happens is that um, they... The pirates, they, they're they trying to break into the cargo. And the thing is, the cargo has sort of a self-defense system. Uh, on the outside, they've actually got lasers. Uh, and then when they were able to sort of take out the lasers, uh, the killer robots start appearing. And they sort of take on the crew. And this gives the uh, Dennis Hopper and Debbie Mars and Stephen Dorff a chance to escape which they do, but of course now they've got a problem that on this truck, they've got all these killer robots. And every time they, you know, deactivate or destroy one, there's three more come, you know, are activated. So it starts one, three, six, you know, it keeps going and going. So more and more, you know, are activated. Mm. And we get a bit of um, exposition from Charles Stance explaining this to them because somehow he was able to crawl onto the ship even though he's missing his legs and he gives them a device that deactivates them something you see the president use at the beginning of the film uh-huh. and so um, they get to earth and they realize that they have to destroy the cargo and they can't disconnect so um, Dennis Hopper makes the ultimate sacrifice he he drives his truck straight into the atmosphere, hoping, you know, that it will burn up the his his truck and his cargo and everything. And Stephen Dorff and Debbie Marzer have been put into a escape pod and they land and you can see, they're looking up in the sky and you can see the fire trail and then the, the truck explodes. And you think, oh, shit. Oh, no, Dennis Hopper, he's dead. Nah, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that would have
1: been too bold a choice for
0: this, wouldn't it? Yeah, he, he survived, mm. and then we get the, the sort of last scenes of the film. So they, they, they end up at Debbie Mars's mum's um hospital, and uh, turns out that it's uh Barbara Crampton, oh, right, yes. a very young Barbara Crampton because she's been frozen, so she's you know. She's actually in good shape. And uh, Dennis Hopper, you know, he, he's kind of happy that he got Debbie Marza out. You know, he said, oh, I don't, you know, I, I'm going to free you from your, your agreement to marry me. And, you know, f- for his good deeds, you know, he gets the hook up with Barbara Crampton. There you go. <laughs> is, I guess it's not a bad deal. Not a bad deal. Uh, but we meet the president of Earth who turns out He is the bad guy. He is the president of the company, and uh, in usual fashion for you know, no good deed goes unpunished. Um, He pays all the medical bills for uh, the mother, um, gives Dennis Hopper a new truck, and gives him a whole lot of money not to talk about it. But he is a, of course, he's an evil dick. Um, There's a bomb in the. The suitcase with the money, which uh, Stephen Dorff decides he doesn't want anything to do with the money, throws it out the window, which just happens to land on the president's limo and boom, kills him. You would think this would probably make these guys, you know, one, I know, a public <laughs> enemy number yes. one, but no, no, nope, they get they all get launched out into space in a new truck on the, <laughs> on the sort of the main rockets you would see uh the shuttle being launched mm-hmm. on. and they'll they blast off into space at the end yeah uh. <laughs> it's, it's it's a it's a shame it's it it is there's a much better story there somewhere trying to lacroix its way out and uh yeah i mean even though there's, there's some nice touches i mean you get Vernon wells as a character as one of the pirates and it's always good to see Vernon Wells in a film, even though he never gets that much to do since like Commando and uh, Man Max 2. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, know. you know,
1: yeah. I mean, I have to say I, I, I watched this, but it was one of those films I really struggled to watch. I, I know I was like on yes. my phone checking things and, you know, looking at other, I, I wasn't fully engaged with it. I was quite distracted. And, um, yeah, I just wasn't my, my sort of thing at all. And as I said, I, you know, I am into my sort of share of, uh, cheap and cheesy, you know, sci-fi stuff, but this, I just thought was way too silly. And, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. Some, some of the, some of the design and some of the effects weren't too bad. Um, but the actual, story and also the performances you know even though we've got some good actors in there i just i just thought it was all a bit uh a bit cringeworthy really
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i think i thought des hopper was all right yeah um he wasn't trying but you know compared to, compared to everybody else he's he was the better actor mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's just sort of um bit of a disappointment mm.
1: no i definitely movie hell yeah big time and as yeah. i said I'm, I'm kind of you know i purchased the film and um <laughs> i've got no i've got no <laughs> desire to keep it let's put it that way <laughs> <laughs> i won't be watching it again yes. and there were no extras on it so <laughs> there's not even that to uh to, to to keep me interested but uh yeah yeah i mean um you know it, he's clearly He's done films. Stuart Gordon's done films on on much lower budgets, which are much better films. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think this one was low budget as well. Right. I mean, he's he tends his budgets tend to be quite low. Right. Let's see how much it cost. Uh, oh, twenty five million. This one. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay it's quite a a step up from his earlier work yeah but yeah it's you tend to get these films don't you where um they concentrate a lot more on the special effects and not the story i mean it's kind of in some ways reminded me a bit of like lost in space and what a a wasted opportunity that was
1: although i'd rather sit (laughs) through that than this but yeah
0: (laughs) no no god no no, that's that's just that's just an awful film, and also the it 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 doesn't look that great now. The CGI in it is awful, especially that yellow creature that keeps changing color. Mm.
1: Oh yeah, now that annoying creature. Yes,
0: he was the Jar Jar before Jar Jar. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh. But yeah, no, I mean this was definitely out of the, out of the list of films that our listeners sent through. As I said, which there were some great films from some you know great directors on there. This was by far the uh, the worst film on that list, (laughs) in my opinion, anyway.
0: Um, Yes, I don't think there was any. uh, I think Femme Fatale was even Oh, God,
1: Femme Femme Fatale, Femme as I said, it's it's got its problems, but it's 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 not a it's not a bad movie. Um, But yes, this this is pretty, pretty awful, I have to say. And, you know, and, you know, I'm quite forgiving with stuff, but uh...
0: (laughs) yes, yeah. Yeah, so it has to be really bad well, if you you know
1: it's just it's just, yeah. it's not my taste I'll be honest it's not it's not really my cup of tea this at all. Um well, it's just
0: it's just not anything it's not funny and it's not exciting and it's not scary and it's you know it's just mm. And it's a little
1: you know it's in it's a bit creepy in places. I mean that 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 Yeah. That yeah. Charles dance, you know, getting it on oh, with Debbie Mazar, know. you know, with his trying to get his Artificial manhood working <laughs> was kind of. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was watching it thinking, "Is robot hell? Wang? <laughs> what the hell are they doing?" <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh dear.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're we're gonna end it there. Um
1: Okay. Any any New Year's resolutions, Simon?
0: Uh well, we'll just keep going on with the the podcast. Um, we we've got a few things lined up. Uh, nothing guaranteed, but watch this space and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be back with, uh, the next director. Uh, and so we'll be back to let P, uh, we've got a special, just to sort of carry us into the new year, but, uh, we'll be back, um, second week of, uh, of January, you know, back to looking at carrying on with the A to Z directors and we're hoping to have some more you know guests on the show
1: yeah that'll be excellent and we're pushing forward with our with our projects into 2016 oh we are
0: indeed yes yes i mean hopefully uh i'll finish my feature film this year
1: yeah i've got i've got a short in post production now that we uh that we shot last year and uh that's that's currently in post
0: and uh Hopefully you'll have a, a feature in the works.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm writing. Um, so yeah, there's, 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 there's all sorts of things happening. So, uh, you, you know, um, as I said, 2015 was, 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 a you know, quite a good year. Um, and you know, obviously we want 2016 to be even better. So yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> we do.
1: But we wish all of our listeners a happy one.
0: Yes. Happy new year. And we, uh, We hope it's a good one for you. We wish you all the best for the new year. So let us sign off in our usual manner. Keith, where can we find your work?
1: Okay, uh, if you go to YouTube and put in British Isles, E-Y-L-E-S, there's some of my work there.
0: So you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. You can listen to this show on Stitcher, Mixcloud, YouTube, and iTunes. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, please um, leave us a review and a rating on iTunes or Stitcher because um, every review and every rating we'll get will help spread the word of this podcast. Absolutely. So um, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for supporting the podcast for this its first year you know we're, we're coming up to nearly doing this for a whole year now and um we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for for you guys out there listening so thank you so much and uh please uh, continue listening spreading the word and uh we'll we'll bring you more entertainment from f- the film industry
1: yeah any feedback is very
0: welcome so happy new year happy new year i uh, just been reminded by uh, Keith, we uh, didn't mention how our winners could uh, claim their prizes. Um, well, if, if you don't get in touch with us, we'll get in touch with you guys. Uh, we just need you to send us your address. Um, you know, DM us either through Twitter or Facebook and uh, we'll get your uh, prize sent to you in the post.
1: Yeah, whether whether it'll be a pleasant prize or a <laughs> or not remains to be seen, right?
0: <laughs> well that is the uh, the joy of planes. Do you think do you think Isn't
1: someone it? will get space truckers?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think somebody will. <laughs> <laughs> well it's worth fifteen quid anyway. <laughs> that is probably the most
1: expensive one. That's what's that's what's yeah. annoying. Yeah. <laughs> okay